during a week, if you're noticing really more appreciative thoughts, that's kind of this internal barometer for how much violence or contempt is there or not. And then on the flip side, if you're being really hard on yourself or hard towards others, you it's like the barometer, you notice, oh, there's this is something that's going on. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prevo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Relationships. Let's talk about it. And in this episode, Nonviolent Living, Reducing Contempt. I have a conversation with Benjamin Haynes, and we cover aspects of what is contempt, how it shows up in our inner dialogue of our judgments, our critics of ourselves, and of course, how that shows up in how we judge and are critical of others and also in our society of this new aspect of cancel culture. So Benjamin and I had a conversation on authentic relating back, oh, I believe it was October 2020. So check that, check that episode out. Let me tell you a little bit more about Benjamin. He is a Southerner, he is a meditator and a yogi, and most recently a evangelizer of authentic relating. He's originally from Nashville, Tennessee. He graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in 2017. And then he taught English for a year in Malaysia on a Fulbright grant. He's now just joined the company Authentic Relating Training and is passionate about the intersection of relationships and presence. But before we get on to the conversation, I do want to tell you about my coaching groups that I started through my adjunct practice way beyond coaching and consulting. So yes, I'm still doing therapy, but I also opened up a coaching practice. So group coaching provides an intimate and restorative and safe setting, which facilitates growth while learning from each other. And in my coaching groups, I'm going to keep it small between six and 10 participants. And most people, they're willing to learn at the same time be coached. And those people that share similar goals find it enriching to come together to work on them in the group. You'll learn a lot from other group members. I'm offering various groups to choose from, which will be focused on specific themes for relationship and personal growth. And there are separate groups for individuals and groups for couples. These groups will meet live virtually twice a month for two hours each session, total of six sessions over a three month period. The groups are held via Zoom and include teachings and partnered and group embodiment practice, Q&A, group and individual check-ins and guided heart work. And other custom offerings of tools will be given as homework between the sessions. 
So the two groups that I'm starting off for individuals will be called Creating Healthy Boundaries and Expressing Needs. And that will start in October. And I will be doing a separate group for couples called Moving Through Conflict to Connection. And that will also start in October. You can check both of those out with more information on my website, prepo.com. And you can click on the coaching section and you'll find out more information on the live online coaching groups. And if you have more questions, you can contact me through my website. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would love if you would leave us a review. And if you find this podcast beneficial, like I said before, please share it widely with your friends and family. Those of you that believe that others can benefit that, I love getting it out to other people. That's why I'm doing it. And another way to support the podcast is you can leave a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. It is greatly appreciated. You can do that through my website, prepo.com. Here we go. My conversation with Benjamin Haynes on nonviolent living, reducing the contempt. Let's talk about it. Right here we go again. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. I think it's been what was it over a year the last time that we did the authentic yeah. relating. I think that was like two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Lots happened in your life, I bet, in two years. Yeah, a lot's happened in the world, in my life, the the inner and the outer. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Well, I really appreciate that you were up for wanting to have this conversation. I think it's a real important one just around living a nonviolent life. How do we do that, especially internally with ourselves? Yeah. You know, the big word that uh, I use a lot is around contempt, how that shows up with ourselves in self-judgment. How do we, how are we contemptuous in our ways of relating to other people in our lives? So thought it'd be a great conversation with you. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks yeah. for having me on, Prepo. Yeah, man. So what comes up for you around like wanting to, or understanding of living a nonviolent life in, in some way? Mm. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that comes up is something about our stance towards the world our, and it is like the same as our stance towards ourselves. So I think that um, my my Buddhist leanings and sort of worldview lead me to understand violence as a it's a way of seeing. It's like a something that it's like a kind of perception or a a fixed view. Um, and so there, um, you know, there are different ways of attending or attuning to others and to ourselves. There are different ways of, of attuning to our thoughts. And, uh, you know, maybe two nights in a row, you have the same meal with your your partner and can have sort of in the exterior very similar things. But if you attend in different ways, you're going to have a very different experience. And so that's 
What, can you describe attending to? Like, what's 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 attending? Yeah, attending is a way of relating to sensations and thoughts into our whole experience. So it is um, often when I think of attending in a more skillful way, it means like a softening or like a taking our seat can be like a surrender, a little bit of a letting go. Um, And then like all things, there can be, it's a, there's a middle way because we can kind of surrender too much or soften too much. And so you, you, you do want to attend um, like maybe an example would be if you if you softened too much then you could just like fall asleep or just like maybe not assert yourself when you might need to set a boundary in a conversation um so yeah coming back to that that attending i think if if we're not attending carefully to what's going on then um then contempt can happen and like violence can happen and I think for, you know, for me, contempt, you know, shows up in a lot of people's behavior around disgust, you know, rolling the eyes, mm. you know, feeling superior, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. And I think everybody has that to some degree in relationships, but I always say that the volume's got to be turned way, way down. And I like this thought that I, I spoke to earlier to you downstairs was, I heard uh, Terry Real, who's a, a couples therapist and has the Relational Institute and, and an author of many books. He mm. stated that the grandiosity and shame are flip sides of the same coin. What they have in common is that contempt for uh, grandiosity is contempt focused outward. Me mm. calling somebody out, saying that they're a shit or they're not good <laughs> enough, and contempt inward and shame is towards me that i'm doing that to myself and that was really interesting to to understand that 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 shame and grandiosity have that uh, in common so i also think that there's a a grandiose thing that people put out in in emotional violence or psychological violence to other people and i think then it's turned inward with shame when we are self-deprecating and self-judgmental. And when we do that, we really project that outward in our relationship, whatever we're, we're saying within ourselves, we're saying without. So many people that I work with that have a, a larger self-judgmental lens definitely project that out more towards other people. And I'm curious of if you've experienced that in your life and how you've worked with either the grandiosity or some of the the shame that that mm. comes in mm. it's a um a very rich question mm. and i'm i want to answer it and i also want to turn it back on you and, and hear how that's shown up for you but um yeah it, i mean to be honest i think i've i've uh wavered between period some periods of grandiosity and some periods of of shame um in like an example would be, I did a uh, I did a Fulbright grant to Malaysia where I was an English teacher, and it was an extraordinary experience. I got to to teach and be in a rural 
rural area of the country and very formative time period for me. I mean, I, I learned a huge amount. Um, I got to live in another country, but uh, being in a small town, being this like tall white man uh, is, 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 it was complicated because it led to a certain uh, amount of grandiosity with just receiving so much praise. And it was, it was hard people because I was very aware going into this experience, I'm going to be the only white person in my town and I'm going to get a lot of praise for that. But even knowing that, I got, I got caught up in some of that. And it was a real practice for me to, to try to um, just humble myself, to let go of the need to be praised by my students or school. Um, but, but that was an example where I, you know, the, the U.S. ambassador like actually visited me at my school. She was like, wanted to come because I was doing well or whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was, I did let that get to my head a little bit at the time and, and thought of myself as special. I'm doing a special job. Um, did you feel contemptuous to other people in some way that you were better than others and mm. looking down upon either their choices or, or um, where they were in their life? Mm. Um, I think I tried not to, but if, but if, as I reflect, there was some self-importance, uh, I was on this program, the Fulbright program, where the, so there were other Fulbright teachers around the country, and um, I, I, yeah, I did. In my mind occasionally compared myself to others, like I'm getting more attention. I got this grant from the U.S. Embassy. I'm doing these things with my students, and rather than just being in my own experience, there's a comparing mind. There's a, like you've pointed yeah. out, there's like this superiority that can come about yeah that comparing mind i think is can be so dangerous uh, we all see it i think right now with just the political divide the mm. the, the mm. tribe mentality mm. you know cancel culture automatically if people don't believe in some aspects that we believe in we have this picture of who they are and that that we're better than them because we mm. have greater values, whether it's environmental or other things, social justice. And I think that that's so dangerous in so many ways because we're not leaving room for differences. We're not leaving room for curiosity. And if it's happening on a, a global society scale, then it's definitely happening on an individual and it's definitely happening on a relational, whether it's in partnerships or families. And, and I'm, I, I have a little red flag about about that. So I know for me, mm. I'm working on more humbleness just around my conviction about being right in that way. So so I don't feel some of the in, internal turmoil that may come out in a psychological violence inside of myself that I project to others, but especially myself. When you ask that, question of how it comes up for me sometimes the emotional psychological violence comes up around past regrets that mm. i've had decisions that i made mm. and i've really worked with self-compassion on that and uh acceptance but there's still a twinge of if i only would have done that if i would have researched more if i would have listened to my intuition if i mm. and when i do that if only if only i would yeah. i can feel that incongruency in my body and when I buried it before, 
it, it kind of wreaked havoc in some way because I wasn't aligned with my authenticity at all. I wasn't mm-hmm. aligned with my acceptance. And so therefore I had a harder time to accept others. And I think uh, that I wasn't as real in my past relationships because of that. Mm-hmm. When, when you find yourself um, sort of r- ruminating in that way of like, if only, if only, what are some things you find that are helpful then to like how do you practice self-love what what kinds of yeah what, what what's your practice there well i kind of i have a couple practices and one is when i catch it i kind of chuckle to myself and laugh <laughs> and say i'm not a soothsayer and i'm a, just a human being mm. and mm. i made the best decision at that time that i really thought you know mm. I, I did I don't think I ever decide I'm going to make a real fucked up decision right now. You know, I, yeah. I, I try to make the best decision. But now I, I have a little bit more of the play of, I, I believe, and I've brought this up more in other podcasts, that I believe I have a lot of compassion for my son Xander and how I would talk to him if he came with regrets and how I have in the past. Hmm. So many times I grow myself up. My wise adult talks to that part of me hmm. like I would talk to my son. Mm. So that wise adult tells that part of myself, come on, man, you, mm. you, you just made that decision. You're going to learn from it. It's mm. going to be okay. You're a good human being. And I start naming some of the characteristics. So one practice of self-appreciation really allows the louder voice of that self-deprecation or the constant looping of the regret because it's the looping that I think gets gets me more in trouble than a fleeting um, re- uh, thought of regret. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. What I hear in that is like an ability to to step outside of the loop and to disidentify from the, the part of you that was being really hard on yourself and was caught in the shame. And so then you're you're stepping into something bigger and able to hold going back to that attunement or attending, you're like attending to that part of you and you're, you suddenly have a relationship with the shame rather than being like subsumed by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering for you and your generation, you're how old in your late 20s? I'm 27. 27. And so some aspects of your generation, I'm, I'm curious because the conversation that we had earlier and I said, some of the regret also comes up about my career path, even though I thought it was really cool. There were times when I was in the corporate world, in the international business arena, I know I wasn't aligned with my congruency around mm. really making a difference in the world or you know, doing and people pleasing and, and maybe going after more of the money than the meaning. Mm. And I'm just wondering for you or friends of yours and your generation, you know, because again, that's that's an internal emotional violence that I know I was taking that out on other people in some mm. way. I wasn't open and free, so therefore I judged. It was I was judging myself for making those mm. decisions of of staying, of being attached in certain ways, or thinking that I might not be able to ever get a job that I can fully develop and fully be truly me. Um, mm. I was judging other people in many ways of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, very, very rich topic for me and for my generation. Um, one, one thing that comes up is this word, um, the met- meta-crisis, M-A-T-A, which is uh, a few thinkers that I follow sort of refer to this, this time in the world history as like we are in a meta-crisis with like institutions and of course like like climate collapse and what's going on with the pandemic um, and also what's going on internally for all of us. It feels like a real initiation right now. Um, and so what I, what I heard in your story is what also showed up for me. There was a time when I, I fell prey to the myth that we, that our, our vocation, our career is something that we, you know, just has to be a way to make money. And we can't, like, we can't listen to our hearts and, and serve from that place. And, um, you know, to be honest, Prebo, this is still something that's unfolding for me. It's, it's hard to listen to your heart and ask, how do I want to serve? Um, it's hard to, to, to support yourself in a world where many, many jobs out there are ones that are soul sucking. Um, but at some point it, it wasn't really like a, 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 a threshold, like a, a sharp moment, but more and more I made a commitment to myself that I was going to listen to like my heart. I was going to, um, to, to do things that I really deeply care about. Um, and so coming back to your point, um, I think I got to that place because I, I, I was noticing that my unhappiness from my job was seeping into other parts of my life and my relationships. You know, I think, you, you, like you said, if you know, there's a, someone's partner is really unhappy at work that can really affect their, their dynamic. And they're starting to hold their partner in contempt when they come home from work. And, um, at different times in my life, I've really felt unfulfilled or, or not happy with the work I was doing or, uh, or, you know, in, in other ways, I was not, not showing up for myself and um i guess that's all a way of saying like when we are aligned when there is integrity it's almost like your body and heart like something energetically knows that there's like goodness there's a basic goodness coming through and um that to me feels like the the opposite of contempt Mm, yeah that is that that part of us that is more in integrity, the alignment of integrity. Mm. I think it's very difficult then to feel one up or one down inside of ourselves. And I know when I'm in integrity, I, I allow people to have their experience. I'm not judging their experience. Yeah. Because that's my integral value system is that people are doing what they're doing. I can put up my boundaries. Mm. I can speak my heart. I can uh, engage myself or not in in their energy but i'm less other focused on that and i'm more 
intrinsically inside myself, feeling good about my own alignment and spending more attention there with more love and more compassion because mm. that's part of the practice for me around internal contempt is the more self-compassion that I have, more self-acceptance, the more self-appreciation. That's a huge one for me. The more that I can mm. see and scan my internal world of my thoughts, are they more appreciative of the world and myself? Are they more appreciative of the people around me mm. about my life? Or are they more judgmental? That's a real gauge for me around mm. appreciation. Mm. So am I, am I hearing that like during a week, if you're noticing really more appreciative thoughts, then that's a that's kind of this internal barometer for how much violence or contempt is there or not. And then on the flip side, if you're being really hard on yourself or hard towards others, you it's like the bar- you notice, oh, there's this is something that's going on. Yeah, I was just noticing that when I was, you know, you know that I'm um, opening up a, a coaching practice to do some uh, coaching groups online and mentoring groups for individuals and couples. And in doing that, I've got to get it out on my website. And mm. I felt overloaded this last week to really, you know, verbalize it uh, on paper and have uh, my daughter love Emma help me with getting it on the website. And I started seeing how I would kind of judge myself for not hitting these deadlines or mm. not doing it the way that I wanted. But then I, I, I leaned back and go, come on, man, like you're shifting and changing some of the work that you've been doing for 18 years mm. and you've been doing some wonderful work. And so I started appreciating even my risk-taking to try something a little different. Mm. I was starting to appreciate that it's gonna be a process, that mm. I don't you know, I don't have to get it right up and the words are in stone. I'm gonna be able to modify that. And then I started watching how before I would think about other people that were doing it or coaching and I would pick apart Maybe, oh, that's shitty what they were that they're doing. They're not really authentic. Oh, they're just a freaking coach and they don't have the the therapy experience that I do. And I would see myself doing that. And when I had more self-appreciation for me, that volume went way down for mm. others. I was mm. looking at them like, yeah, they're putting out their energy to help people. Mm. Whatever they're doing, how they're doing it, I don't mm. have to judge mm. it. So that that level of self-appreciation really um, helps me get out of all those small daily loops, even in, you know, my, my relationship with Rainbow or Xander, if I'm really appreciating how I'm showing up or how I have shown up, it really takes the edge off of when I'm not present in the moment or when I don't think that I'm a good partner in the moment or, or I can see dissatisfaction on, on Rainbow's face because of something I said. So that's a constant practice for me. Wow. Wow. One thing that came up there as you spoke was um, the word expectations. That feels, um, it's kind of a new thought, but it feels really important in this conversation around contempt and mm. internal and external violence because, um, you know, in that story you just shared about the new website and it's like you had set these expectations like okay prepo i'm gonna have like four paragraphs done by thursday and then when we don't get it it's like boom like we don't we we there's that part of us that's like the six-year-old that let our parents down Mm -hmm. or the 
18 year old that like didn't get into the school he wanted to go to or something and it's just like so hard and there's a lot of um internal and external violence that can emerge or arise when we don't meet the expectations we hold um so then i i, I want to kind of ask you like what is does that mean we shouldn't set expectations? Like, how do you how do you relate to expectations, and and what, what are your thoughts there? That's a great question because many times I've said the definition of expectation. I got this from a man named John Lee. Is a yet to be realized resentment, mm. and <laughs> and it to me it's pretty accurate in some ways. If I'm attached to that expectation, mm. to me the difference is, I think it's great to have a desire. I think it's wonderful to have and expect certain things. I expect certain things out of you and I in our relationship that there's going to be some kindness, there's going to be some reliability. You know, we set this up. We were going back and forth Mm -hmm. um, texting and we set it up. There's a certain expectation. And when we said one o'clock on Saturday, you're going to show up at fucking one (laughs) o'clock. And and yet, if I was really attached to it, and you said, hey, man, like, I'm not feeling so good today, like, I'm just mm-hmm. overloaded, then I can relax that expectation. It doesn't mean that I, I let go of the desire to want this to happen, but mm-hmm. I let go of the attachment to it, and then probably mm-hmm. less resentment towards you, towards the situation, because I know that when I hold on to an attachment um, in my expectation, then there is more internal violence in some way. I'm 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 angry that it didn't happen. Mm. Um, underneath that is probably more sadness and disappointment. But that that's what I've been playing with more of. I want to have certain expectations of my life of people, mm-hmm. but just watching the expect watching the attachment to allow some of those expectations to be veered in a different pathway sometimes. Mm. But I think it's good to to have some desire and expect certain things to um, be experienced with openness to it deviating at the same time. Mm -hmm. What comes up for you when I say that? Yeah, um, actually it's a little bit of a a metaphor. Like I thought about like boundaries and how sometimes boundaries are like too firm you know, and just inflexible. And then at other times, uh, like I'm particularly prone to this sort of as a people pleaser, I have like flimsy boundaries and just I'm like not setting firm enough boundaries. And I think your point about expectations is that our expect, it's not that we shouldn't set them, it's that they need to be um, spongy and porous and like move with life and with the energy that's there, which means being very um, alive to them, checking in with them, being present with your expectations so that like in real time you can notice, okay, I had like set this goal for myself or set this expectation on this person and it didn't happen now kind of what is skillful. Um, yeah, so there's something there for me about um, once again, kind of the middle way of yeah. like porous, porous, spongy expectations. Yeah. There is a kind of a middle way because I think there's also expectations. Maybe people have agreements in their relationship of being monogamous. And if one veers from that and there's betrayal, then in some way um, hmm. that expectation, if we just said, oh, well, okay, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you're unreliable in that area, and you lack trust. I think that there are some steadfast, like non-negotiable expectations in some way. Yeah, and not that we hold people to the fire, but that's a certain boundary of like those expectations are a little bit non-negotiable for me. The other expectations that I have, I'm more pliable. I'm more open to it, mm-hmm. and so that's I think our own internal process to understand that. I think one thing that you're pointing out there is um, if, you know, if say, say one partner had betrayed the other and, and the other partner was just kind of like, oh, well, it's okay. Like, I forgive you. That to me is an example of, of emotional violence towards oneself because that, that reaction, that response to immediately forgive a partner for something that's really you know not okay and and cross the boundary is not having the self-love and self-respect that it's to to know that you know you deserve more than that there's a term that i use in in in, in therapy we call it self-abandonment and so in some way mm-hmm. when we're self-abandoning ourselves mm-hmm. and we're just accepting some aspect of psychological abuse that it's okay. We are abandoning ourselves and not holding um, and holding on to ourselves what we want and what we need. And I think many people do that. Um, they abandon themselves in a way when they freeze. You know, there's flight, fight, freeze. When mm-hmm. we freeze, we abandon ourselves. We're only a ghost of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, really learning in some way how to. Uh, know what it is that we need. Um, And if we aren't experiencing it, that if we do just accept it in some way, are we doing emotional, psychological abuse, violence to ourselves? Mm -hmm. Those are big words that we're using today, abuse and violence. But I think people really need to understand that it is to some degree, Mm -hmm. because there is an incongruency and we are being, this. it's the seeds of violence that's happening within ourselves that that tend to go into anger and rage. Mm. And it's subtle, but I think it's important for everybody to see that. Mm. Mm. What are some of your practices that you do to let go of some of your, let's say, internal contempt or even external contempt to to other people? Mm. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, A couple. uh, I mean, for me, the, the most important is is my meditation practice it's it's kind of always been been there um going on going on silent retreats but also just doing sits in the morning um i think in this context uh meditation is important for the sensitivity and the listening that's required um i think that's one thing we're touching on in this conversation is to um to be sensitive to our own hearts and and bodies and minds, to listen closely to you just use the word subtle, you know. It's it's often very subtle, like when a boundary is crossed. And um frankly, these are ever unfolding skills and things for me. I'm I'm certainly like learning learning these these things as we go. But uh so meditation, um is a big one. Um, another one preview in this context is, is like journaling and reflection, um, particularly in the external. 
I find that uh, like I, I just spent 10 days with my parents in, in Nashville. Um, got to go home and have mostly really good time with them. It was like so nourishing and rich. But um, on, my drive, on my drive here, I did just some reflection about that time and about a couple conversations that, that um, they didn't go awry, but you know, it could have gone differently if I had been in a, in a little bit more spaciousness or been listening to my dad more or, uh, you know, a, a number of different things. And so, um, you know, I, I know, uh, I don't quite have this practice, but I know some, some folks who will every night before they go to bed, they'll do some journaling and reflection about in, in my day today, what kind of like in, specific conversations how could I have shown up better or or when might I have been a little bit violent towards myself or another and um, I find that that reflection and journaling to be really helpful I think one important caveat to add is that you have to be careful not to um, not to let that go into shame you know there's like this this healthy regret that can come about of there's like a healthy reflection but then there's that can, if you're not careful, that can, um, you know, slip into to shame and rumination and being being too hard on yourself. Yeah, because that spiral into shame is right goes right to our personhood, not to our behavior. And I think that that's that also, in my experience, it lacks the awareness of taking accountability and responsibility when we're feeling too much shame because it's too painful to do that. Mm. And I think if we're not taking accountability, you know, that's one area as I'm thinking about, that's a practice in some way. If I'm able to take accountability and responsibility of my situation, mm. my decisions, instead of blaming it on others and blaming mm. it on something else, whether it's the weather or my car or <laughs> something else, if I can take more full responsibility, um, there's a less emotional violence that goes on within myself because I want to project that pain in some way of uh, to something else instead of, can I take that accountability? Yeah, I made that decision or a series of decisions mm. that led up to that. And then can I have compassion for myself because I'm, I wasn't sure of what the outcome is going to be and so forth. So I think that's an interesting kind of awareness or practice to have around that. Like, you know, in my partnership, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going to say something. I'm not sure if Rainbow is going to agree on this, but <laughs> some of my practice is more about if I'm able to quickly say more about, yeah, you might be right about that, or you have mm. a point about that, instead mm. of it, especially if she's calling me out on my behavior, right? Mm. And it's like if she's calling me out about my behavior, there's some truth to it. It's silly for me to argue mm. that I'm no, I'm not upset. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm being present with you, right. you know, as, as, as I'm probably, you know, half texting on the <laughs> phone. Of course I'm being present with you instead of saying, you know what, you're right. You're right. You're, you're, there's something to that, to take that accountability. When I do that, if I'm not feeling shame, it's way more or less violent within myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're receiving Rainbow's feedback with uh, a lot of, you know, grace and love. That's it, re- receiving feedback is not easy, and and uh, it can be, yeah. E- either normally we want to like lash out at the other person, or like 
lash out at ourselves when we receive feedback. So like holding it with, uh, with grace is so difficult. I think that's a real challenge that we have in dialogue with each other right now in conversations in the world is can we give feedback without real being defensive, without shooting it back with blame? You know, many, many times in my mm. couple sessions, somebody will give feedback and automatically the other person says, well, you do that also, you know, instead mm. of like, yes, I do do that. Or tell me more about how that bothers you or mm. what can I do differently that, that will help you in, in the way that I'm responding to you. So feedback is definitely key, I think, of turning down the aspects of contempt and some kind of a, a psychological, emotional abuse in some way of how we, some people are, uh, I know are so afraid to give feedback because of the harsh energy that's gonna come back to them. Mm. And uh, so if we can't give feedback, how do we know how we're relating to each other? Mm. One thing that uh, going into this conversation I wanted to ask you about is, um, yeah, you, you've mentioned a couple times just how there's a lot of contempt right now. You've mentioned uh, cancel culture and some of the uh, hubbub out there. Um, how do you, uh, yeah, how do you see that that's unfolded? Like, wh why why is there so much contempt, and are you hopeful that it's that the contempt is going down. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm curious about some of your reflections. There. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that uh, what I'm seeing is on many fold uh, such protection of the our ego structures um, when fear is instilled in people. Hmm. Um, then there's more of a, again, a flight fight response that comes out with, I have to protect myself. So therefore I have to uh, feel that I'm more right or righteous in some way. And I got to then see somebody else wrong. Cause mm. I, I think we have a hard time holding dual realities. Yeah. Like there can be dual realities or um, that maybe I'm not right. Mm. Maybe I don't have the whole picture. I think our, our culture right now is instilling that that is is not a good thing for for most adults and human beings. Mm. The patriarch system is you need to show confidence, you need to believe that you're right, and also the whole aspect of winning over somebody else. Mm. And so we're not really conditioned in some way the way that the whole competitive structure is in our lives, whether mm. it's business or or countries and so forth. We're not conditioned to. Uh, inclusive, be inclusive for everybody to to benefit in some ways. Hmm. So, I I see how that comes out. I see also in the communication styles. It's wonderful that you and I are having this longer conversation. Most people don't have longer conversations. In a texting situation, other situations, people are shorter in their responses. Yeah. Um, they're not giving each other a lot of space. I know that you're studying circling the, the communication technique of really being able to see somebody and acknowledge and validate their experience without you jumping in with yours. Mm -hmm. We don't do that so well at all in our culture. And I think that breeds contempt in, in so many ways because we're constantly comparing. But I do have hope because of people like you, you know, <laughs> and your generation and the friends that, that you're around that I meet um, 
don't want to do it that way. You know, want to have and be in their heart more. Um, so I do have, I do have hope. There's no way in hell. Like I, I was talking to with somebody yesterday about what what's the alternative to be to to feel hopeless. I don't want to have hope. I don't want to be hopeless, even mm-hmm. when things are dire and looking. I don't want that. I. Uh, I'm a, I don't know, romantic at heart. I love the, the underdog winning at the very end in the movies and so forth. I hope is important, but I don't think it's pa- Pollyanna. Hope is life, mm-hmm. you know, a life force. Uh, so, yeah, that's a big, big rounded answer to to, mm. to your question. But um, yeah, I want to see more of the collaborative opportunities and experiences that I'm seeing with people than the detrimental experiences because we can shine a light on all of those but we don't hear enough of the beautiful collaborative and experiences that most people have Mm. Mm. so this was sweet uh any any other closing thoughts that that you have coming up or Mm. Hmm. Um, maybe on that last point, uh, yeah, just that, um, what you shared, it landed with me that, that there is, uh, it's not Pollyannish to have a hopeful view going forward that, you know, we're in a recession and this has been a hellish pandemic and all those things can be true, but, uh, it also can be true that there's a lot of love right now. There's a lot of collaboration. And so um, there's something for me there about what we choose to pay attention to and how we're, how we're using our attention. And uh, that's a big part of my practice is trying to, trying to pay attention to what's beautiful um, so that I can be uh, less violent that part of us that has a limiting view of other people in our lives, whether it's people close to us or our own limiting view of ourselves. And if we're leading with that viewpoint, I don't think we're going to have a fruitful life in that way. But if we're leading more of the appreciation of people's, I don't want to say potential, but we know their essence and name more when they're showing up and when we're showing up in those positive Mm -hmm. and heartful ways, then the contempt goes out the door and Mm. there's more emotional acceptance and more, um, I would say, uh, emotional buoyancy than Mm. emotional violence. So thanks, man. Prepo, thank you. Mm -hmm. This has been fun and it's, uh, it's always great to learn, learn from you and learn alongside with you. Same here, man. I love having conversations with you. Is there anything up in your life of something coming up or anything that you have on the horizon that you want to share that's juicy? Mm, um, I'm headed to a circling retreat in, in August. Uh, there's a nonprofit called Dharma Gates that I work for, and we're hosting a circling retreat in Massachusetts. So really excited for that. And... Um, also supporting a, a meditation teacher and hosting some long-term meditation retreats next year. So looking forward to um, supporting his work. Well, I know whatever you do in those areas, people around you are going to so benefit from from your presence and, and also your, your open wisdom 
Thanks, brother. Thanks, Rebo. Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.